and we are about ready to get ready for the word of the Lord. You guys ready for that today? All right. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to open up with a scripture. How many like good scriptures? I like, yeah, good scriptures are good, eh? All scripture's good. That was a test for you guys. Psalm 107, verses 1 to 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. How many of you have been redeemed today? Amen. I want to see all your hands today because God is Jehovah Goel, the Lord our Redeemer, and he has redeemed us. Amen. So this weekend is obviously Thanksgiving and, you know, full of traditions and full of, you know, um, food, lots of food. I don't know how many of you guys have already had um, Thanksgiving dinner. How many are going to be leaving here and going to Thanksgiving dinner? How many are going to have Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow? How many are having Thanksgiving dinner every day? <laughs> this for the is, whole next week. <laughs> for the whole next week. This is one thing I actually love about Thanksgiving is that, you know, like, A, I love the smell of turkey. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite times of year. Um, and, and I love the smell of turkey. I love when my house is just filled with the smell of pumpkin pie and turkey and ham and all the good things. And then all I do, like, I spend all this time cooking it. And then all I do for literally the next week is just eat non-stop eat and then eat some more and then eat some more and so you know i'm thankful for all the food that we have <laughs> you know and then on top of that you buy all of these candles that smell like you know pumpkin and all this stuff so you know i think i don't think you have a turkey one but i feel like you you should buy a turkey, no, turkey one has, too because you know it has original. an aroma you know to the turkey smell <laughs> in the house right and baked cookies and baked pies how many of you guys have thanksgiving traditions that you have in your family a few of you guys there's thanksgiving traditions are a good thing they're they're nice to enjoy and i remember actually years ago i think i shared this last year but um when we were younger we used to get together with um, my aunt and uncle and cousins and and us kids would all go into the basement and we had this jar of pennies how many of you guys ever had a jar of pennies in your house have no idea where it came from don't know where it even went to at this point, but we had a jar of pennies. And so as kids, we would get out some cards and we would get out the jar of pennies and we would just try to play cards. And I don't think we actually knew what we were doing, but we had so much fun just joining together and enjoying each other's company. And that's really what Thanksgiving is about, is just really um, being thankful for who is in our life, the people around us, um, the life that God's given us, and ultimately to God. Amen. You know, I remember having some different experiences with Thanksgiving growing up. How many of you had some different experiences, you know, than jars of pennies on Thanksgiving? You know, one of the things that I remember that we used to have was the annual, every, every year we'd have the annual football game on Thanksgiving. It was a full contact, no pads football game. And uh, we would go out there and, you know, basically beat each other up for, you know, two, three hours on Thanksgiving morning and then come home and eat turkey. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure exactly when that uh, game stopped, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the fact that we continue to age and injuries kept accumulating over and over, uh, you know, through the years. So it finally disappeared. But the other one that I remember uh, quite a bit is, has anyone ever had to do those extended family photos this weekend? You know, on, on Thanksgiving, it's like the fall weather's out and, and people like to take the pictures. And I just remember, you know, trying to get the whole family together for Thanksgiving photos. You guys know what I'm talking about? You know, and it's like, and, and through all the different stages, you know, from like the babies all the way up. So you got this one crying in the corner and this one rolling around in the mud and this one here, you know, doing this. And it was just, 
by the time you got to the picture, it seemed like it was like always like chaos, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, everyone ready? You know, it's like, smile. <laughs> Let's do that again because eight of you blinked that time. So, you know, we're going to do it again. And so it was like every Thanksgiving we go through this process. But I just remember, you know, traditions, yeah, were, were fun. And, and it's enjoyable Thanksgiving to think about it and all the different times that we did things. It is. And actually, I think part of the think reason why. Pumpkin pie and whipped cream. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw the whipped cream that you put in the cart, <laughs> not the other day at Costco. Mounds <laughs> of it. But I think the reason why we, you stopped playing football was because you, um, your shoulder came out of its socket. and Dislocated. And dislocated. football. <laughs> and, um, and I can't handle when his shoulder comes out, out of its socket because I can't help him. <laughs> so it, over the years, what happened is that his shoulder he got like um the bone kind of wore away and so then it would just start slipping out on its own and it just and and for me i'm i can help with whatever but when it has to do with something like that i'm sorry you're all on your own and so i remember this one day he's he's trying to put the screen door in um and he's laying on his side and then all of a sudden his his shoulder falls out and i was like ugh. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to be saying, I got to go. I can't help you. And I was just kind of like more backing away. And we were out on the back deck and my mom was coming in the front door. She was coming to babysit that day. And as she's running in the front door, she can see that we're on the deck. And she just came like, I don't, I don't even know how she knew something was wrong, but she just like bolted up those steps, came right out. She grabbed his arm and she just like shoved it back in its socket. And I was like, how did, how did you know how to do that? She's like, oh, you just got to do what, what needs to be done. And I was like, okay, no more playing football because, like, I cannot do that. I can't do it. So, so anyways, no more football. His arm stays in its socket, and, and, and we're, we're all good. good. And we're good. <laughs> and then you don't have to worry. All right. all right. How many of you guys like the history of Thanksgiving? We shared this last year, and I'm going to share this again this year, just because it's exciting to know, like, where our history is from and what's going on, right? And so how many know that? Canadian Thanksgiving was actually the first Thanksgiving. I like this, right? We, we have a different Thanksgiving than the U.S. You guys know that. Like, we, we come first, you know, in our Thanksgiving. But, um, and Thanksgiving is actually the second Monday of October, and it was declared this on January 31st in 1957. And, uh, you know, we still celebrate kind of like similarly as the States. You know, it's all turkey and, you know, all the same kind of traditions and stuff like that. Um, but basically what happened is um, the First Nations came across uh, Turtle Island. They have traditions of Thanksgiving and surviving winter. And, you know, they didn't have a whole lot. And um, so the first celebration of Thanksgiving in North America actually occurred during the 1578 voyage of Martin Frobisher from England. And he was in search of the Northwest Passage. And he actually landed in what was modern day none of it. And here, what happened was a preacher, Maester Wolfall, which I told Pastor Brian, I said, we should find, like, see if this message is available, because I'd be really interested to hear this sermon. But basically, he preached a sermon, and, um, and the whole crew gave thanks to God for um, providing for them. Because how many know, like, in none of it, it's not, uh, back in those days, it's not like there was just grocery stores that had all of the things. There wasn't restaurants that were around that they could just get all their food. They had to rely on being able to hunt um, and stuff like that. And it's cold, so it's not like they could grow, grow things and stuff. So they, they gave thanks and for their safe arrival, and they ate a meal together. And that's where we get our traditions of 
Thanksgiving. That's where you get part of the traditions part of, of the Thanksgiving. Traditions. And yeah, then, you're going on. then you got in 1604, you got a gentleman by the name of, what was his name? William de Champlain. Anyone ever hear of William de Champlain? 1604, he came across and then he started having feasts locally with the uh, First Nations and the French. Okay, and then shortly thereafter, you know what happened? They had something called the American Revolution. And then out of that American Revolution, they had a lot of refugees that ended up making their way up into uh, the parts of Canada. And then they spread all through Canada. And then what they did is they started bringing in some of their traditions that they also had into the uh, uh, Thanksgiving. And that is where you actually see more of the other elements of things that we are unaware of, kind of like the turkey, the pumpkin, the squash. Those were all things that ended up taking place through those refugees uh, that came out of the American Revolution. So that's why a lot of our current like, customs and things that we do, uh, not only you know, here when we celebrate in October, but also when the Americans celebrate in November, have a lot of similarities. Now, there was something, though, that I want to bring out that really stood out to me in, that partic in this particular history lesson. When I was looking over, there was something that I didn't even catch last year. But it says that it, when it talked about the American refugees that came, do you know what they were actually referred to as? They were, what's that? They were loyalists. They were referred to as loyalists. And that word kind of really stood out to me because when you, when you look up the word, it obviously comes from the word loyal or loyalty. And it really talks about one who's really um, remains especially faithful uh, to a political cause, a party, a government, or even a sovereign God. Okay, and that is really what we get out of the word loyalty on it. Now, there's, there's, there's some other definitions, right, even in the, in, in the dictionary, and then it talks about loyalty, uh, it says, as a strong feeling of support or allegiance, say allegiance, okay, a strong feeling of that. It talks about unswerving in the allegiance, it talks about being faithful in allegiance, and it talks about being steadfast or devoted. These are all elements of what it means to be loyal. And, and, you know, I was looking up, so I started looking up loyalty on the internet. You know what I found out? That when you start looking up things on the internet, we start talking about loyalty, it's, it's considered one of the lost virtues. Because loyalty just starts to have been, uh, it seems like it's just uh, one of those characteristics that have just started to diminish over time within our culture. You know, there was all kinds of different things. How many know, for instance, when, you know, you were employed way back when, you know, how many times did, did a whole generation or your whole employment remain at, at one location? That this, this, this was the norm, you know, back, you know, 50, 60 years ago, you know, people, they grew up, they went to this plant, they worked in the mine, they stayed in the mine until they died, you know, and essentially this, this was a type of place that took place was a loyalty. But what about marriages? You know, people got married. They stayed married till death do us part. But what's happened, right, is now, nowadays it's that if you last at a job, you know, for a few years, right, the newer generations moving up, right, they're not at jobs for a lifetime the way they used to be. There's so many more increases to different career paths and different places of employment. And the same thing with marriages. What is on the rise right now? We got all these increases in divorce rates that are just continuing to escalate all the way through because loyalty is what they consider a lost virtue. We don't see it as much as we used to see it. They got it from brands. You know, what, what about brand loyalty? Nowadays, there's like, you know, when I was growing up, you know, there was like 
Levi jeans. There was, you know, Edwin jeans. And, you know, there was a few of these like Jordan. specialty jeans. But, but nowadays, I mean, you go out on the market in jeans and how many different brands of jeans are there? There's hundreds and of, of name brand, you know, designer jeans that are out there. And so all of these things are affecting it. They affect the relationships. Another one, loyalty. You know, how many about friendships? How many ever thought they had a friend until they came into a time of need and realized that their friend was nowhere to be found? You know, we've all been there. We've all experienced those types of things because it's, it's different. Uh, friendships, you know, are, are often even one of relationships, you know, especially in marriages, etc., where we really see some of these things come out. And I just believe, you know, in 2 Timothy 4.16, it says that Paul... Paul actually was talking about this, where he experienced this with, him, a friendship, with his friendships. And it says, at my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. How many can say, ouch? This was the apostle Paul. And here he is at his first offense. And you know what it says? Nobody was there. Nobody stood up with him. Nobody was by his side. I would have to think that for the Apostle Paul, who invested his life into these, these people, that that would have been a big ouch. That would have hurt a little bit. How many have ever been there before where you needed the people, right? And, and it was, ouch, where are you? What happened? And, and here it is. This goes on and on. But there's lots of examples, I think, of, of this that are expressed in God's word. And that's kind of where we're going to go today. When you read that scripture... Maybe we have this later in the message, I don't know. But when you read that scripture, all I could think about was Christ hanging on the cross. And when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, you know, he went through the ultimate betrayal, right? Um, those who, who said they loved him, who were with him, and they just, you know, um, weren't loyal at, at that point. And now we know what Christ did on the cross and what he accomplished. But, um, but anyways, that, that's what that reminds me of. Um, I want to actually talk about how many of you know when we're talking about loyal loyalty and stuff like that. There's there's a, a a friendship in the Bible that we can really get into. Do you guys know which one this is? Jonathan and David. You guys know the story of Jonathan and David. They were like best friends, like comrades. Like they were like together. They were in it together, like all the way to the end. And I want to um, read in First Samuel eighteen one to four. It says, "Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore." Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And then I actually want to jump down to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14 to 17 says, And you, talking to David, shall not only uh, show me, Jonathan, the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now here's the thing. They made a vow together. How many of you have ever made a vow in your life? I think, I think for the most part, the majority of us can say that you've made some sort of vow at some point or another. If you're married, you made a vow when you got married. And a vow is a very um, a, a, a big deal. 
right? A vow is your word. A vow is something that you are giving to show that you are together in this. And it's something that actually can't just be divided, um, just separated very easily. A vow is something that if it is, if it is, um, if it is not followed through, it is actually torn apart. It's ripped and it's not, there's no clean edges on it. Does that make sense? And so when we, when we make vows, we have to be very, very um, careful about how we are making vows and what kind of vows we're entering into because our word is our bond, right? And nowadays, people make vows um, just like it's fleeting, like no big deal. Like, oh, oh, I got you. Like, no big deal, you know? But, but then when, when push comes to shove, you know, wh where are they? right? When you're going through a hard time and you need somebody to actually be there to help lift you up in, in the ways of God, where are they at? And this, and this is what happens. We have to be so very careful with the vows that we are making to make sure that they are godly vows, yeah, that there's something that God wants us to do. It's true. And see, as she's pointing out, it says it started off really easy. How many know it's not very hard often to open up your mouth and make a commitment or a vow? Okay, but then, but then what happens is, is that as you journey through, through the rest of things, you now have life that takes place after you've opened up your mouth. Okay, and so the, the easy part was, hey, I'm making the commitment. I'm making a vow. I'm making a covenant. But now I got to actually walk that out. And you know what? You don't often know what, you, what life is going to have in store for you. How many know, knew what everything and element is going to happen in your life? We don't know. But that's, but that's the joy of, of life, right? Is, is that we don't know what happens. And that's why it says be careful when we do these things. And so I want to pick up now in the main part of the passage, which is in 2 Samuel chapter 9. So when you get into this here part of, of, of 2 Samuel, when you go through all of 1 Samuel, you know what happens? This is the anointing of Samuel comes, a prophet comes onto the scene. Then we have uh, King Saul that comes onto the scene. And then, da and then you got David, okay? And then the whole book from there on out from 1 Samuel really is all this back and forth where Saul's trying to kill David and there's all this back and forth that's taking place. And eventually, you know what happens? Saul ends up dying. And then David becomes king. And when he becomes king, you know what he becomes king of first? He becomes king of Judah. And then it says that there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David and that the two of them were fighting back and forth. And that went on for another seven years. And after that happened, then it said that the two kingdoms ended up coming together and David started to rule over all of Israel. That's a long journey. But then you got David now, who is king over all of Israel, and then we're in 2 Samuel. So now he's at this place where all of this fighting, all of this place have all been on the run. I have now established as the king. And David sits down and it says, now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So after everything's all said and done, everything's been fought about, everything's done, David sits down. And the first thing that I want to bring out here is it says that loyalty remembers. In Ecclesiastes 5, 4 to 6, it says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. But what, have, but what you have vowed, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at you 
ex your excuse and destroy the work of your hands. So God talks about this here, and he talks about the vows that we have made. He talks about the commitments that have been made. And here's the first point that I really want to make. David remembered. Say, David remembered. He had to take a moment. You know, this was the guy who's ruling all of Israel at the time. Do you think that you're busy in your life? Think about how busy the king is. He's busy. This is something that he did, but he took the time here. You know, in God's word, it talks about over 253 times it uses the word remembered. Why? Because it's important. God constantly goes back to a place of, you know, warning us not to forget. In Deuteronomy 8, 11, it says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today. 253 times that word remember comes up in God's word. And specifically here, it says, don't forget the Lord your God. But here, I want to tell you something. It didn't just say, don't forget God. It says, don't forget my commandments. Don't forget my statues. Don't forget the ordinances of God. Don't forget the ways of God is what it's actually speaking about when God gives them that instruction. And see, we have all of these different things that are happening throughout our lives. But what it tells us to do is not just to, to, to seek God, not just to, but, but the ways of God, to remember the ways of God, remember the goodness of God. What did we, what did we sing about this morning? We, we talked about how I remember how, the mercy of God. I remember the goodness of God. You know what happens here is that loyal people remember and they remember the commitments that they make. David's life, here's the thing. Jonathan, when David was on the run, David's, David's life was in trouble. Saul wanted to kill him. Are you guys all familiar with this? But what happened? It was Jonathan who stood up for David. Jonathan who was the one who protected David. Jonathan was the one who, who didn't allow him to get killed at that particular time. It was David. And you know what happened? David, he, did, he was now king. Did he need Jonathan anymore in his life? Jonathan was, was God now. Jonathan was dead. There was nothing going on that, that was going to benefit him anymore in his relationship with Jonathan. But he remembered when he was in a time of need who helped him out. He remembered what he vowed in that particular time. And he remembered that it was Jonathan. He didn't drop him in that moment of time. Right. And I don't know if we mentioned this, but Jonathan was Saul's son. King Saul's son. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so here we're talking about, you know, the son of the king is best friends and has made a vow with David, who the king is actually at war with, right? Um, so the second thing I want to bring out is that loyalty takes ownership and responsibility. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, it says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. You see, loyal people keep their word right? They are able to, if whatever comes out of their mouth, they treat it as gold that they will not go back on their word. And here's the thing is that a lot of times we, um, we don't really understand what loyalty means and where loyalty should be. Our first um, order of loyalty should be to God. He is the one that we are first to be loyal to and then to man. And a lot of times people think that we just need to be loyal to man. And so if we've given, you know, um, 
if we've given our word to man, then we just follow through with whatever they're doing. But that's not what the Bible actually talks about because I want to read in... 1 Corinthians 5.11. Is that what you want to read in? No, I don't no? know. Do I? Okay. What's that one? You want to read in Mark 12? I do. All right, you can read in Mark 12. <laughs> it says... And then, Mark you can in, and then you can read in 1 Corinthians. Is that my next scripture? All right. It says, Mark 12, verse 20. That's what I want. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It says, this is the first commandment, and the second is like it. It is this. You shall love your, your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So this actually gives us the order of how things should go. It should be God first and then man. And so, um, you know, how many of you guys are married or have ever been married? How many of you have ever been married before? Um, when you got married, did you have bridesmaids or groomsmen stand up with you? Yes. Um, a lot of times people think that it's just so that it looks pretty in pictures and, you know, you have to have an equal number on each side and, you know, they're your friends and stuff like that. But do you know that there's an actual responsibility to somebody who's standing in a wedding? And that is to be able to uphold God's ordinances in the marriage that they're standing for, that they're vouching for in that. And the one who signs, the maid of honor and the uh, best man, they're actually signing, they're actually making a vow that they will do everything that they can to be able to make sure that things succeed. Now, here's the thing, is that there are some times where, um, you know, the Bible does talk about where, you know, the uh, marriage covenant should be um, canceled, but as people who stand in a wedding, we should be able to uphold God's ordinances in the marriage. And so if somebody comes to you and, you know, like I remember years ago, I didn't stand in their wedding, but I had, a, I had this one year that I had multiple friends that ended up having affairs on their husbands. Um, and I, so much so that I was like, God, why am I surrounded with a whole bunch of people who are just unhappy in their marriages? And so um, friend after friend after friend had had affair with their, with the, um, on their husbands, and they told me about it as if I would be in support of their affair. And my thought process was that I can't support something that is willful sin. I have to support God's word and God's will and what he says in his commandment. So I have to be able to say, listen, I don't agree with this. This is not right, and you need to make it right, or I can't stand behind this right? Now, I, I, I did lose friendships in that, but, and that's a hard thing to say, but a lot of times what happens is people want to just like turn a blind eye, like, they're my best friend. It's okay. They deserve better. And if this makes them happy, then it makes them happy. But that's not okay. And, and in, in this thing, this is where it, your loyalty goes to God's word first. It goes to God first, and then it goes to man. And see, when we're loyal to each other, because we're loyal to God first, we're able to encourage each other on in God's will. We're able to encourage each other on in what God has called us to do. And that's actual loyalty to the people, right? Loyalty doesn't mean that you're supporting somebody in willful sin. You still love the person. But as I said, as the relationship with God is intact, in you know what happens? It overflows into your relationship with other people this way. And so I want to keep reading in 2 Samuel, starting now in 9-2. And it says, And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they had called him to, king, to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? 
And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amelia in Lodabar. Now, I, here's what I want to bring out here is, is that when you are a loyal person, loyalty goes out of its way in this particular case, right, to show kindness and it's intentional. Okay, when you get here, David showed, he, he had to make inquiries. You know what he'd start with? First of all, we already know he remembered, but then he had to start making inquiries. He started asking questions. He started asking questions to his servants. You know, who, who, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? And then one of them says, hey, there's a servant Ziba. So then Ziba comes and then he says, hey, is there anyone in the house of Saul? He's making inquiries. He's doing his due diligence. He's going out of his way, first and foremost, to track down, is there anyone? Because you know what? He didn't know there, there was a son of Jonathan that was still floating around. But he made the inquiries to be able to start to establish this. Are you guys following me? Now, what happens here is that the servant reveals that, that this son of Saul is in a place called Lodabar. Now, I want you to catch this. Lodabar has a, has, has a meaning to it, like everything in God's word. I'm going to tell you one of the things. When you study God's word, look up the meanings of words. Because when you look up the meanings of the words, they tell you a lot more even about the history and the story of what's going on. Lodabar actually means without pasture. It says, and when you break it down, the word debar means word or thing, and lo is a negator, meaning no, okay? Which then means when you look at these two words, you put them together, they mean no word or no thing. And really what is taking place is you have a city that is really in the middle of nowhere. It's a nothing place. It's no pasture. When there's no pasture, you know what there is? There's no sheep that are floating around the place. It's basically saying, hey, look, here's a place that's got no value. It's got no worth. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's called Lodabar. And guess what? You know who's there? This is where Jonathan's son's now hiding out is in Lodabar. Now what happens? David then sends for him. So now David is just further making his intention. You ever try to find somebody in the middle of nowhere? You ever find that people don't want to be found? You know, I, I don't live in the county, but I can tell you that I've driven out in the county on many, many occasions. And, you know, people say, you know, who live in the county, they just very easily, you know, give directions. You know, it's like, hey, you just go past this tree here and that, you know, mailbox over there. And I don't know how many of you ever passed the same street over and over again or, or the road and you're just like, where is it? I think I remember every time that we used to try to go to uh, Bill and, and Rose Whittle's house at our old place, every time the GPS would bring you to the wrong place. And it was just like, how hard is it to find this place? They live in the middle of nowhere and they're in Amherstburg. And so I remember, you know, looking this up, and, but David was purposeful. And you know who else was purposeful? In Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. This man was lost. He was forgotten. He was overlooked. He was an outcast. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He was on the wrong side of the tracks at this point. But you know what David did? He went out of his way to track him down. How many times do we go out of our way to track people down? How many times do we go out of our way and ask the questions first after we've remembered? 
Or do we just let it sit there? Or do we do what David did and pursued a man into the land of nowhere to find him because he, he was lost? It's good. You know, um, how many times have you ever, somebody's come to your mind and you haven't uh, seen them in years, hadn't talked to them in years, but all of a sudden you're thinking of somebody, ran, you know, it seems random. But it's not random because God always puts people upon your heart that need something that you have. And whether it's just a prayer or whether it's a phone call or whatever it is, I remember this one time um, I had somebody uh, call me, or no, somebody didn't call me. I woke up in the middle of the night um, with a scripture. And uh, I started praying the scripture, and I literally had somebody's face and name come uh, to my mind immediately. And it was somebody I probably hadn't seen or talked to. Or, and, and they were probably, you know, I want to say 20 to 30 years older than me. So uh, somebody I hadn't seen in probably like a long time, a long time. Um, and so I was just praying through, and I felt like God said, I want you to um, give the scripture to them. And I was like, they don't even know who I am, probably. Like, you know, I was just a little kid last time, and, you know, who even am I? And, and he just said, it was 2 in the morning, he says, no, I want you to do this. So I went and searched them up on Facebook, because I think that's the first thing that we do is, you know, <laughs> we try to creep them on Facebook, find them, you know, where are they? Um, and, I, and I ended up finding the person, but wasn't friends with them, obviously. So I just sent them a message, and, you know, when you send a message on Facebook, it doesn't always go through if you're not friends. It goes to, like, a... A, a spam folder or something but in like a holding area like a holding area so um anyways sent the email felt complete peace went back to bed and i was great about a week later i got a, a reply back and it said do you know um the night that you sent that scripture um i had found out that i had had cancer that day and i was up in the middle of the night crying out to god saying god why don't you see me i need to know that you see me and that was a scripture, actually, that I, that I had given them was about God seeing them. And, uh, and I just had confirmation that, you know what, in those moments when you haven't seen somebody for a long time, but God puts them on your heart, seek them out. Seek them out and, and do what God has called you to do. Pray for them or give them a scripture or something. You don't, know, you don't need to know the details. I didn't ask the details. I don't need to know the details. All I needed to know was that she got what she had prayed for. So the fourth thing is, loyalty doesn't show partiality. In James chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, says, My brothers, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man with filthy clothes, and you, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, Here, sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand there, or here, you can sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And I'm going to jump down to verse 9. It says, But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You know, the Bible has called us to not show, um, to not be respecters of persons. You know, there, I remember a story one time that a preacher had said that they were wanting their congregation to really start to reach out to everybody and to not be respecters of persons. And so um, what he did was one day he showed up late and he just, you know, kind of dressed in a way that was not like, you know, in a suit and everything. And he kind of came in scruffy and just didn't look like himself. Nobody recognized him. And he just came in and he sat in the back corner and not a single person came up to him and said anything to him. And he said, in that moment, I knew that things needed to change and the atmosphere needed to change in my congregation because every person deserves respect. 
no matter who they are, no matter how much money they have, no matter what they look like, no matter where they've been, no matter where they're going, no matter what road they're on, every single person deserves respect. And that's what the Bible has called us to be loyal to people as respecting each person for the value and the worth that God has already put on the inside of them. You see, God says that you are valuable. God says that you are worth more than rubies. God says that you have a divine purpose in your life. And who am I to judge whether or not that's valuable to be in the front row? Who am I to judge whether that's valuable to have my time? I'm not, I'm not the one to, that should judge that. I should be the one who says, you know what? Whoever God says needs, I will be there. And what God calls me to provide for the need for, he will provide the answer to that and the need for me to be able to, or the, the provision for me to answer that need. So we are not meant to um, live with partiality. Philippians 2 verse 4 says, let each of you look not only for his out, look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And you know, even when Pastor Brian's talking about um, the place low to bar, it means without pasture. Do you know what that actually means? Somebody who is without pasture, do you know what they're missing in their life? They're missing a pastor. They're missing a shepherd. They're missing somebody who's willing to pour into them, who's willing to guide them, who's willing to point them in the right direction. And this is really what happened with Mephibosheth, is that he's in this place where he's away from everybody, and he's, he's just living his own life separate and segregated and kind of in his own little world. But God has said, John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives life for, for the sheep. 1 Peter 5, 2 to 4 says, a shep shepherd the flock of God which is among you, ser serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. James 1.27 says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. I love this. He sums things up so, so genuinely and so simply. Says it's this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. See, Christ is our shepherd and he's the one who cares for us. And he puts people in our path to be able to speak into our life and give guidance to our lives. And we need that in our life. We can't go around just being without pasture. We can't go around just kind of being here, there, and everywhere and not having roots in our life. We need to have those roots and we need to be able to have Christ, who's the head, and then the pastor speaking into our life and have that authority that's able to be able to speak God's truth and help guide us in the way that we should go. And I think it goes down even all the way to that last point that you said in James 1.27. A lot of times people think that only Christ can do the pastoring and, and the pastor can do the pastoring. But we're all called to help shepherd people. It said in the last one, it says, take your religion itself is to take care of the orphans and the widows. This is what the responsibility is of each and every individual is to go forth and to be able to look out for the needs of other people. That is what God is really trying to get across. I want to pick up here in 2 Samuel 9, uh, 5 to 8 now. It says, And then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amelia, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, his face prostrated himself, and said unto Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan's, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. 
and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Here's a man who thinks of himself no better than a dead dog. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He's in the middle of, of a shepherdless community. And here he comes in into the king's house and he has a conversation with the king. And you know what happens in that, in that moment of time? There's a life-altering process that takes place because King David now sees the man who meant to be unseen. So I want to catch this here. So what happens is, is that loyalty, and you know what it does? It helps establish confidence. And so here was a man. It says when he first came in, he, he's, he's in a place right where everyone was trying to kill the king's sons. This was the war that was going on. So here he is. He's, he's lost. He's in hiding in the middle of nowhere. You know what? He's living in basically a place of fear and mistrust. And all of a sudden, he comes into the king's court, and he lays down prostrate, and the king says to him, fear not. And you know what happens in that moment? Trust starts to get reestablished. When the king all of a sudden says, hey, I didn't bring you here to kill you, but I'm here to actually restore to you that which was of your father's house and your grandfather's house, that of King Saul, and everything that was attached to it. All of a sudden, he has something that he lost. He was... He was the grandson of the king, and yet he was in hiding. And now he is getting restored back his identity. He's restored back his, all of these things start coming back in, and his identity starts to get called back into place. And so his confidence is growing. He's invited now to be able to come back to the, king, to the king's table. And you know what? It made mention to the first preferences was talking about that he was lame in his feet. But when you are lame in your feet and you're sitting at the table, does anyone know that you got lame feet? You can't see the feet. He's now at the king's table and everything that was there and everything that was part of his identity is now shifting. In 1 John 5, 14, it says, now this is a confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Just as we are in the family of God and we can confidently come into the throne room of grace and we can ask our petitions, John, sorry, now Mephibosheth, you know what's happening? He's coming into the family of King David. And as he comes into the family, you know what happens when you come into the family? A, you get to sit at the table. You get food at the table. You know what you also get to do? You get to have conversation at the table. When you have conversation at the table, you have a relationship now that starts to establish. When you have relationship that's establishing at the table, you've got trust that is being built up. And here's the thing that, every, that I really feel is really important. You know what David did in this moment? He looks at Mephibosheth and he basically tells him, you know what? I believe in you. He says, I believe in you. I'm going to restore back to you all that you had lost. Everything that was, 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 was King Saul's before, you know what? It's yours now. I'm giving you back that identity. I'm bringing this all back. And he goes and he says, I believe in you. You ever have anybody believe in you before? How many of you have also had people who haven't believed in you? How do you feel when people don't believe in you? Do you feel like you can take on the world and overcome the mountain? No. But it changes 
when somebody believes in you. And how often do we miss the opportunity to believe in people, to believe in others? When they're kicked down, when they're beat up, as you said, you know, the guy sitting in the back of the room. Do we take the time to really take a look at that person and say, you know what, I believe in you. You may have been walking through some terrible circumstances in your life, but you know what, I believe in you. And you know what happens when that happens? It puts something, it imparts something on the inside of men and women to be able to be more, to be able to do more, to be able to accomplish and, and get rooted in who they are. I believe in you. And that's what King David established in this conversation. And then even as he's saying, you know, I believe in you and he's restoring back, I'm not going to read it, but as we go on in verses 9 to 13, we can see that... Um, David has actually restored back to Mephibosheth everything that was, was his. So servants and, and all the things um, that they should work in the land for him. And so David's actually restoring back to him. And this is a sacrifice that was made. See, loyalty brings sacrifice. See, there are things that, you know, that, it, that Mephibosheth was a grandson of a king, which means that everything that he had before was a whole lot. And so now to have all of that restored back unto him, that was a sacrifice for David to make. But because of his covenant, because of his loyalty to Jonathan, he was willing to make that sacrifice and to bring that to him. Mm -hmm. And loyalty, you know what, and the last point I want to make here is, is that he brought him in, it says, uh, to the table. And he says that you will sit always at my table as one of the king's son, sons and I shall feed you. You know what that shows? It shows the faithfulness of David in keeping his covenant, not just for the moment, not just for the day, not just for the week, but for the continuation of every day in and out. Mephibosheth, you're going to eat at my table. That shows the faithfulness and loyalty is faithfulness. When we take a look at this here, it says, loyal, you know, loyal, loyalty is faithfulness and faithfulness is loyalty when you look up the actual word in the dictionary it says the same thing it means a steadfast in affection or allegiance or loyal it's, that's that's what faithfulness actually means it goes on and it continues and it even talks about reliability and dedication and even though i'm sure you know there's some differences between these words they are essentially creating the same opportunity for us to be able to be loyal at the core. It's talking about at the core of both those words, faithfulness and loyalty, it's talking about our ability to be able to commit to one another, the ability to be able to commit to something, the ability to commit to God. These are all parts and attributes that are at the core of being loyal. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, it says, Therefore know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations, and those who love him keep his commandments. You know what happens here? God is what? God is a faithful God. Almost every song that we sang this morning, you know what it talked about? God being faithful. And what I realize as I go through this is God is first and foremost, you know what? He's our example. If God is a faithful God, he's also a loyal God. What does he say? I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is someone who is steadfast and loyal to you as an individual. And he is our example. So when it goes to back to say, to keep the commandments of God, to keep the ways of God. If God is a loyal person, what should we be? Loyal. Loyalty is an attribute of God Almighty. He is loyal to be by your side through thick and thin. 
And I believe, you know, even here, it talks about in Galatians, and it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. You know what it says in the fruits of the Spirit? In 522, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. What's the next one? Faithfulness. That there is a fruit that is made manifest in our last when we spend time with God, learning his ways, walking in his ways. We become more and more in the image of God. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is now walking in our lives, and it is manifest in a fruit of faithfulness. Let's all stand to our feet right now. You know, when we started, we actually, Pastor Brian read a scripture in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, where Paul said, No one stood with me, but all forsook me. But if we keep reading in the next verse, it says in verse 17, But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, the Lord stood with Paul, and the Lord will stand with you. The Lord does stand with you. And you know, the Lord has made a covenant with you. He's actually made a blood covenant with you. And that means that you are joined together and he is loyal to you as you are loyal to him as well. And what he says is that he will take care of you and he will clothe you and he will provide for you. He will be Jehovah Jireh as we've talked about before. You know, I think it was last week when we talked about Abraham. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. And as he is loyal to us, his provisions come through in our life. And I know sometimes it's hard to actually feel like things are going to happen in the time frame that we need them to happen in. But God exists outside of time and space, which means he sees the exact millisecond that you need the provision for what you need. And he says, I've got it for you. Take care of you. I've got you love you. And that's because we serve a faithful God. It's because we serve a loyal God. And that's something that we really push here at, at I-9 is just an atmosphere of loyalty to God first and then to those around us. You know, we're here for one another to encourage each other on in the Lord to give that encouraging word. And sometimes it's so easy to be kind of just um, caught up in, in the things that are happening in our life because let me tell you, the enemy will wreak havoc in your life as much as he can. He will try everything to distract you from what God's called you to do. But when we open up our hearts and we say, God, you know what? I'm gonna put these distractions aside. Like, I feel like they're killing me right now, but I'm gonna set it aside and I'm gonna let you take care of that need inside of me as I reach out to others. And that's what God's called us to do as believers, is to reach out to one another, to welcome each other in the love of God. Jesus did it while he was here on the earth. Now it's our opportunity to be able to do that. Amen? It's taking, you know, as you, as you wrap that up, you're really taking uh, it from the inward focus to the outward focus on others. And that is all about Christianity. Pick up our cross, follow after Christ. And I believe that we need to not only honor God, but we honor one another. And as we walk in all of the ways of God, we walk in the faithfulness of God. As God is faithful, we're to be faithful. As God is loyal, we're to be loyal. This is the attributes that are 
not, as you said, forgotten virtues within the world of Christianity. These are not forgotten virtues that are within our church and that are within your lives. We are loyal people and we are going to continue to be loyal to God and we're gonna to continue to be loyal to one another. Amen? Let's pray about it. Let's pray and let's dismiss. You wanna pray? Father, we just thank you, Lord, just for this day. God, I thank you for an opportunity to just have grateful hearts before you. I thank you, Lord, for each person that is at the sound of my voice right now, Father. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that as they walk out these doors today, that they would be able to reach out to those around them. I thank you for what you have imparted into our lives this day and that it will pour out into our communities, Father, into our neighborhoods, into those around us, in our families, Father, and to one another. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word says that we would be known by our love for one another. And so today, God, I thank you for your love that permeates within our hearts. I ask that you open up our eyes to be able to see each other the way that you see others. I thank you, Father, that we would be able to see the value in each person that we come across. And God, today I thank you that as we are celebrating just a heart of thanksgiving, I ask that you help us to just be mindful about keeping you at the forefront of everything and that we're ultimately thankful for the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. We thank you for who you are. We give you the praise, we give you the honor, and we give you the glory today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we will see you guys at Lighthouse Flow on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the After 9 Show. My name is Sarah Quinlan and we have with me today Pastor David Pistonese. It's been a while since I've done the show. It's been a few weeks. So I'm happy to be here with you today, Pastor Dave. And for those of you just tuning in for the very first time, basically what we like to do is we talk about things that stood out to us in the message, maybe some little nuggets of revelation that we got for ourselves to be able to give the viewers um, that are home today on live stream an opportunity to see what it's like to talk to people after church. Right, Pastor Dave? <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. So Pastor Dave already told me that he really loved the message today. And I, I love King David. I think he's one of my favorite. And I know it's kind of like a stereotypical favorite Bible character, but I've always loved the heart of King David. And even, even when he was going through his uh, trying years, when the whole stuff was going on with Bathsheba, I still love the prayers that he was praying to God, oh, creating me and clearing heart, oh God, renew a right spirit within me, right? And um, they, they always say that, that David had a heart after God. And so when we see about all of this stuff between him and Jonathan, I, I was really inspired to even say like, you know, those kind of relationships, those vows that you make in your life, like that vow of friendship that he made was, was so important to him that it continued on even after Jonathan had died. Amazing. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, absolutely amazing, yes. <laughs> yeah, and even uh, Pastor Brian made a good point about Mephibosheth, and because he said uh, the line that, uh, let me see if I can get it. It said, uh, what is your servant that you, uh, that I am lowly like a dog or something like that? Like a dead dog like, like a me. Like a dead dog like me. Who is your servant that I am like, yeah, something like that. But Pastor Brian said, if you have lame feet and you're sitting at the table, can feet. anyone see that you have lame feet? No. And I think that's great how that loyalty brings that air of confidence to Mephibosheth again, that not only was his, his household restored and things were restored to him because of King David, but his confidence was restored. 
Excellent. What do you think, Pastor Dave? No, I, I, <laughs> I think that's very, very good. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a, a few things that popped out at me in the message. Yeah. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about mercy today yeah. because uh, mercy is one of the things that keeps ringing up in my mind, you know. And uh, mercy returns to you. When we extend mercy, mercy, uh, you know, comes back to us. Yes. And, uh, you know, we have to understand that the law of mercy, you know, what's the law of mercy? The very simple, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Yeah. So if, if we choose to extend a merciful life to everyone, it comes back to you, yeah. you know, and you don't know when or how it's going to come back. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, I had a brother that loved me, and uh, he was a great guy, you know, and he was tough. Yeah. If you mess with him, you, you know, you're in trouble. Good luck. But if you mess with me, you know, you had to face him, you know. And so a lot of the times I wouldn't tell him if I had to get into a fight or something going on because I knew he would just, just come in and take over, yeah. you know. But this one time I was supposed to meet this guy for a fight, you know, at one o'clock at this corner store. And I said, I'm not going to tell him nothing, you know. And so, uh, you know, and then I'm walking to the store and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know, this, there's going to be nowhere to help me. I'm going to get punched out for sure, <laughs> you know. And then all of a sudden I see this guy walking back from the store that I was supposed to fight. He's holding his eye like this here. And he's crying, and I'm going, holy smokes, what happened to him? <laughs> so I go to the store, and my brother's playing a pinball machine. He says, how you doing? I says, I'm doing okay. So that guy you're supposed to fight? I says, yeah. Bill? He says, yeah. Don't worry about him. I took care of it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You believe that? Yeah. And so it was like I got mercy from my brother and protection from my brother when I thought I was all done. And that's, you know, I, I thought I was out of, out of mercy because he didn't know, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you know, when God's mercy shows up to you, when it shows up, a lot of the time it's unexpected. Yeah. So when you, when you, when you see something going on in your life and you say, you know, God, what, what happened here? Like, yeah. how, how did that happen? Yeah. And God will just wink at you like, you know, don't, don't worry, I, I had you covered, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he extended mercy when you least expected it, you yes. know. And so that's one of the things that always, always amazed me was the mercy of God. Yes. And if you practice a life of mercy or you're merciful to people, you know, you just, you don't judge, you yeah. know, you're just merciful. You're just believing the best about them. You know, if you can help out in different ways, help out, you know, do what you can, what you can do. Yeah. But it returns. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Yes. That's one of the things that really hit me today. Yes. Yeah. I love that, Pastor Dave. And they had a lot. They, I think they had six points about things that loyalty is. Oh, um, I like that a lot. So that was let me see if I, what I can remember. So loyalty um, establishes confidence. Loyalty uh, takes ownership. Um, loyalty is not a respecter of persons. Loyalty is, <laughs> oh shoot. Um, loyalty is intentional and loyalty is not partial. I think, I don't know if, if I got them all, but if you, if you didn't get them all, then go back and watch it and then you can remember. <laughs> but, um, it's just really great to see how, um, like they even, they had that, that 
story Pastor Sherry um, was saying about how the pastor um, took the week off and he kind of dressed himself in like yeah. roughed up clothes, yeah. right? And sat yeah. at the back of the service and nobody nobody approached him or nobody talked to him. Yeah. And, you know, the whole like element of partiality is like, yeah. I never want to be someone that approaches someone and goes, oh, based on the way that you're representing right now, I'm not going to talk to you. Like, I never, ever want to be that person. But um, it's really, it's eye-opening to be able to see these kind of things and put yourself in these scenarios, even like King David did with Mephibosheth. I bet you, I'm sure someone said to him, my king like what are you doing like this guy is he's got nothing to offer you he's got nothing to give to you what are you doing but he took him and he you know he brought that back to him to be able to say like this is my this is my son he's going to sit at my table with me right i thought it was cool that was that that story always uh, amazed me yes you know it was david's loyalty over yes. the years yes. and david looking past any possible you know, yeah. uh, problems that they may have had, you yeah. know, and uh, he had every right just to forget about him, but he yeah. didn't know. Yeah. David was loyal to his friends. Yeah. Um, this is something that really, really gets to me. I have three loyal friends. Yeah. You know, I think there might be more. <laughs> I, don't know three that I hope I don't forget it. I'll just tell you their names. Okay. One's Nario. One is Don, and one is, um, what's the other guy? Nario, Don, and... Uh, I don't know. Is <laughs> <laughs> Mo. Now, these guys had been loyal friends to me. I've been loyal friends to them since I was a kid, yeah. since I was about 13 or 14. Wow. You know? And 20 been, years ago? Yeah, you know? <laughs> and so we've all looked past, you know, little indifferences and different things, you know, yes. and times that we may have disagreed but we chose to remain loyal yeah. we chose to remain the best that's good you know and so it's important for us to understand that loyalty is a choice yes loyalty looks past indifference yes loyalty lasts a long time david demonstrated that didn't he yes he did you know with yeah you know he was loyal David was loyal to Jonathan yeah. through a long period of time. Yeah. And so when you think about God and your relationship with God, you know, and I like the bit they talked about today about, you know, choosing to be loyal to God first. Yes. You know, and, and our, you know, what's that? God first and then man. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah, I, I've often got those mixed up, you know, because sometimes it can cause confusion. But the bottom line is very simple. You put God first. Yes. You know, and, 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 and that's the most important thing for us to do is to put God the first, be loyal to him, be loyal to his commands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but his command, you know, uh, I, I like what she said there, that she, you know, had all kinds of friends that wanted to talk to her about their relationships with different men and that, you know, and she said, uh, you know, I could not get past what God said on that issue. Yes. You can't get, you can't just tuck that under the rug and say, well, it's no big deal. Yeah. I want this to my friend. Hey, yeah. what about what God has to say here? Yeah, exactly. You know, you got to be loyal to God first, don't you think? Yeah. And so I thought when she said that, that was amazing. Yes. To me. Yes. It sort of, it sort of put the plumb line where it belonged. Yeah. That's where it belongs right there. You know, That's where so. it belongs. Well, I had one thing stand out to me, but we have to close now. So I'm going to say the thing. But if you think it's really good, you can just agree with me. If you don't think it's good at all, you can just walk away. I don't care. No, just, um, 
uh, as you were talking, I was reminded of the verse that says, is there anyone left in Saul's household that I may love upon or something like that? Well, I don't know that ex directly, but David was looking, searching out someone to be able to restore the vow with Jonathan. Said, is there anybody left in Saul's household? Household. Do you remember that verse they read today? Yeah. And I and I didn't didn't really mean anything to me when they read it. But as we were sitting here, I thought that was kind of cool that David was. It wasn't like Mephibosheth just fell into his lap. That he actively searched him out and found him. Amen. David went for the extra mile there yes. and pushed to find that person. The, yeah. And he didn't matter who it was. Nope. He was going to be loyal to. Didn't the, matter who Jonathan. it was going to be. He found him. Yeah. It wasn't like Mephibosheth was this big, strong knight or anything, right? Like, yeah, right. He, yeah. Took what, he took what he had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's all we have time for today. So if you want more, if you want to talk more about this, come to church next week. We'll talk. <laughs> you won't be here, but I'll be here. We'll be talking more <laughs> okay. about things. Um, but we hope you have the best Sunday of your life. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. We won't be at the Lighthouse tomorrow. Am I right, Larry? There's no Lighthouse tomorrow. However... On Wednesday, yes, at 6.30, we'll be meeting here at the Serbian Center for an hour of prayer and worship. It won't be live streamed, so if you want to join us, I encourage you to come on out. Anybody is welcome. We'll just be having a time of prayer and um, worship together. So we hope to see you on Wednesday. Happy Thanksgiving of the best day of your life. God bless you.